and welcome to the Astoria City Council meeting Tuesday, September 4th, 2018. Glad to see you here. Uh, roll call, uh, Chief Spalding. Here. Here. Thank you. Uh, we have two proclamations tonight. The first is for National Assisted Living Week. And I will read that. Whereas residents of assisted living communities are active members of the larger community, offering their knowledge, life experiences, and involvement, their past contributions continue to be a vital part of Astoria's rich history, and their ongoing participation deepens our city's identity. Whereas assisted living is a critical long-term care service for older adults and individuals with disabilities that fosters choice, dignity, and independence, Assisted living communities are committed to excellence, innovation, and the advancement of person-centered care. Whereas in 1995, the National Center for Assisted Living established National Assisted Living Week to honor the contributions of assisted living communities in providing long-term care to America's seniors and individuals with disabilities. Whereas this year's theme of National Assisted Living Week is capture the moment which hopes to inspire assisted living residents to enjoy the present while celebrating the past. Whereas Capture the Moment is also meant to encourage assisted living staff to focus on the little everyday interactions with residents to continue delivering high quality person-centered care. Whereas during this special week, assisted living communities across the country, including our very own Astor Place, are encouraged to organize activities and events which celebrate the deep connections between the dedicated staff members and residents. Now therefore, I, Mayor Arlene Lemire, do hereby proclaim the week of September 10 through 15, 2018 as Assisted Living Week. I urge all citizens to volunteer in an assisted living community to visit friends and loved ones who reside at these communities and to learn more about how assisted living services like those of Astor Place benefit the larger community of Astoria. And at this time, I'd uh, like to uh, invite Sean Guerrero with Astor Place to come up. Sean's not here, oh, but okay. I'll come up. Okay, great. I'm sorry, I've never done this before, do I? Thank you very much. You're welcome. You're just thrilled that you would recognize us. I'm sure the residents are just going to be so honored to, Good. to hear. Thank you very much. Yeah, I've spent quite a bit of time here. You did great. It's yeah. wonderful. I take the dog over periodically. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll have to come by because we have a, a bunch of really fun stuff we're going to do. Good. Next okay. Thank you. All right. Proclamation is for Kiwanis Children's Cancer Cure Month. Whereas Kiwanis International was founded on January 21st, 1916, and whereas Kiwanis Club of Astoria was founded in 1919, Club number 140, and whereas since its inception, Kiwanis has grown in over 80 countries worldwide 
And whereas the men and women of the Pacific Northwest District of Kiwanis International have exhibited a deep sense of pride in community by serving the needs of family and children worldwide, and whereas the Pacific, Pacific Northwest District of Kiwanis International has effective uh, October 1, 2010, initiated the multi-year district-wide service project, Kiwanis Children's Cancer Cure Program. And whereas this program is funding the Kiwanis Children's Cancer Fellowships, allowing physicians to seek cures for currently untreatable forms of cancer, and whereas the Kiwanis Clubs of the Pacific Northwest are collaborating with Dornbecker's Children's Hospital in Portland, the Seattle Children's Hospital, and the SC Children's Hospital in Vancouver, BC, and whereas the local Kiwanis Clubs are the epitome of their defining statement, serving the children of the world, and now therefore on behalf of the City Council, coinciding with the Pacific Northwest District of Kiwanis International Children's Cancer Cure Program, do hereby proclaim the month of September 2018 as Kiwanis Children's Cancer Cure Month throughout the city of Astoria and encourage citizens to celebrate the many contributions made by members of Kiwanis Clubs of the Pacific Northwest. In witness, in witness whereof I have hereunto set my hand and caused the seal of the city of Astoria to be affixed this fourth day of September 2018. Arlene Lemire. So, uh, Frank, I believe you're going to accept this tonight. Nice. You're in everything. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mayor, Mayor, Councilors. This is a great opportunity for the public to learn about what Qantas is doing in working with the Dorn Becker Children's Cancer Program. The, although the program is district-wide, which covers multiple states, the, club, the uh, Qantas Clubs of Oregon focused on Dorn Becker. And our major fundraising uh, this year and in years past has been on the uh, raffling of a Ford Mustang. And uh, that program just ended. Last year, we were able to generate and donate to Dornbecker uh, $200,000. Since the program started in 2010, we have contributed $4 million to Dornbecker. The money goes towards bringing in three cancer specialist doctors to work on uh, cancer cures for children at Dornbecker. They are here on one-year scholarships and their research is profound in moving forward in curing cancer in children. It's almost apropos that on the front page of today's Daily Historian yeah. was a story of a couple who were both in the Coast Guard uh, taking care of their son who has leukemia. So here they're struggling with their profession, their work, and taking their child for treatment, chemo, at Dornbecker. And we are all striving for this horrible disease that strikes uh, children of all ages as well as adults. So we hope to get the cure soon, and uh, we're doing a little part 
We're pleased to have two of your department heads in our club, uh, Susan Brooks, who happens to be our uh, secretary, and Jimmy Pearson. So we thank you for their service, and we ask for as, as much cooperation in future fundraisers for this very worthy cause. Thank you for the answering. of councillors tonight. Um, Councillor Nimelo? No, ma'am. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Councillor Brownson? Um, yes, um, a, a couple things. Um, first of all, uh, my mother's at Astor House yeah. in Lingwall, uh, and, uh, and she's having a great time, as best I can tell. She doesn't call. So, <laughs> that's always a good indication that she's having a good time. She's great. Um, and I'll be there for the chili next week. So. And, uh, and thanks, Qantas, for all the work you're doing on cancer. I think that's really important. Uh, in, in general, cancer uh, deaths are down historically, and it's due to research and uh, like what Dornbecker does, better treatment, uh, earlier detection, all those things go in. So uh, the more the merrier as far as I'm concerned there. So thank you. Um, I would like to ask, uh, uh, Brett Estes, um, I was curious about what is going on currently with the Merlin Hotel. Sure. Uh, so uh, I was able to uh, contact uh, the developer's representative for the Merlin Hotel project, Julie Garver, today. And Ms. Garver is able to give an update on the project, which is they applied for uh, grant well, some, some, I say grant, some funding assistance from the state of Oregon for this project. And their application, unfortunately, was denied by the state. So um, they are going to be re-submitting uh, an application for uh, the January submittal deadline. Uh, one of the things uh, which um, the state has uh, said um, where the project scored low was that there was not a need for this type of housing in our community. Um, so um, this is going to be an issue which uh, the city staff is going to be uh, working with Ms. Garver um, and is also going to be working uh, with government officials. I'll tell you, I've, I've been on the phone with uh, the our representative of the governor's office today, uh, Mark Ellsworth, with regards to this issue, and uh, apprised him of, of at least the concern that the city of Astoria has uh, with regards to the issue of need. Um, of course, there are comparisons comparing Astoria to other jurisdictions. I don't know exactly their methodology. Um, Ms. Garver uh, has been able to have a meeting in Salem with the the folks from the housing office to get a little bit more detail, but um, more to come. And I've stated that at least the city of Astoria will be doing whatever they can to be able to help uh, prepare a robust application. I've also discussed with her the work that's being completed by the county uh, for the housing study, which is going on, and she felt that the outcome of that could also be beneficial 
um, and then also timely in that the housing studies were supposed to be wrapping up by year's end okay. in advance of uh, per application deadline. So that's that's the latest. I appreciate that. I haven't heard a lot about what was going on. I'm really curious where we we're at. And, and that is pretty disheartening that the state uh, backed out at this point. And I hope we can get enough pressure and clarify our need to the state in the future for that. Um, and then also, just uh, part of our agenda package had uh, reports from all our different departments. And um, I just wanted to make note of, I wanted to ask our financial director uh, about, there was a, some uh, discussion about transient lodge tax and working with the state to help uh, collect and distribute lodging tax. Could you? Talk a little bit about that and about where we are with, um, it's mainly third, I, I'm kind of interested in third party, such as Airbnb, and, and uh, they're collecting the appropriate lodging tax. Sure. So in the last legislative uh, session, the state did enact um, some changes which required third party vendors to collect and report um, and distribute funds to municipalities on behalf of um, their hosts and they're making those changes and we're also making those changes to deal with that change. Um, so that's that's one step. We still don't know what the, the reportings in those distributions are going to look like on the receiving end. We don't know if we're going to get one check that has no detail because that's been a big issue of the third party vendors is not divulging host information. So we're kind of working through that right now. Um, the, the last meeting that was held was on the 27th of August and it, it was more um, kind of giving us a summary of information as well as talking about what's going to be happening over the next year with the state. So the state does intend on rolling out a program where they will have, every, they, we can enter into an agreement with the state much like we have to collect our local um, marijuana tax. And if we do that, then all of the um, hosts and third parties would then report directly to the state and distribute their, their uh, collections to the state and then the state would turn around and, and uh, send that to us. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done, um, as we've seen with the marijuana tax over the last year and a half, sometimes setting the, the tone, the path that we're going down doesn't necessarily mean everything's in place to accurately capture that data. So they're trying to um, move forward with lessons learned and talking with different municipalities about what we see as some of the roadblocks and hurdles that need to be um, taken care of and implemented as they roll out their system because it's going to be a big change in the state to implement the proper reporting for this. So we're also working with the planning department right now to look at our ordinances. Um, so that's kind of an interim step but also getting us prepared for um, 2019 and beyond. Okay, Mayor, if I might add on, Ms. Uh, Brooks had mentioned working with the Community Development Department um, this uh, over the weekend, the mayor has set 
the October work session uh, for the topic of uh, reviewing the permit process for the uh, transient uh, lodging, uh, homestay lodging uh, issue. This is a topic that we've had quite a bit of discussion on and this was identified in uh, the Community Development Department report. Um, staff has been uh, finalizing a draft to be able to bring to council and that will be uh, the work session item for October. Okay, thank you. And, and speaking of marijuana tax, I, I was happy to note that they finally allowed, allowed you to disclose the money that um, has come our way through our collection of our taxes so that we know what that is and where it's coming from. So, and it was a nice little, not, not a bad chunk of change. So, uh, anybody's interested in all this, look at the package, all the department reports are there. And, uh, it's actually a pretty interesting read to see what the city's doing and what their aspirations are. So, and that's all I've got. Thank you. Thank you. Councilor Price. Um, no report, thank you. Uh, good evening, Mayor. I just I wanted to say how pleased I was to read in the paper that Astoria School District's expanding their free breakfast program to all students, and it had been offered to all students at the elementary schools. And I know that there's quite a few studies that have shown that when students are sort of set aside, as only the lower income students get the meal, a lot of them won't take it. But when it's open to all students, they do take advantage of it, and then uh, it direct link to performance so i think that's really a great move by Astoria school district also i wanted just to report on one one of the two parks in my ward which we uh, signed an moa with uh, for maintenance this year with the Clatsop county master gardeners volunteers in the alderbrook park and went by their garden and watched their harvest this weekend and just an amazing garden full of all kinds of fresh produce and thus far they've harvested and given to the food bank through Clots of Community Action 262 pounds of fresh produce and uh, that's because we you know, signed the MOA with them so it's nice to see that. Okay, uh, the only thing I have is that I would like to thank the department heads for those uh, quarterly reports. They're always extremely interesting to read and see what's going on in the city. If you think we're not doing much, take a look at those uh, uh, department reports because there really is a lot going on in the city. I did have a question on the, on the marijuana one. i put you on the spot again, Susan, but um, uh, where does that money go, the 190000 <laughs> So we have put that in the general fund. General fund? Okay. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay, uh, any changes to the agenda? I'd like to be able to add an agenda item 7C under the regular agenda, uh, camping on city property. The consent calendar uh, is usually passed just in one motion unless someone has asked for an item to be removed. Um, any, anyone from the uh, public? No, no citizen requests. Okay, and how about from the council? Okay. Uh, could we have a motion to approve the consent calendar? I move to approve the consent calendar. Second. Um, Mr. Harrington, could we have a uh, roll call, please? Councilor Nimble. Aye. Councilor Johnson. 
Aye. Councilor Price? Aye. Councilor Jones? Aye. Mayor Lemire? Aye. Thank you. Uh, the first uh, item, is, regular agenda item, is the Appeal 1802, Consideration of Findings. Mayor and Council, you have uh, correspondence provided to you at the dais tonight, specifically uh, from um, Renee France, who um, is the attorney who was representing Don Ballister. Uh, with regards to who's the property owner of the site where the Astoria uh, Co-op store is proposed to be located. And if you remember, this was heard at an appeal hearing um, several weeks ago, and this item had been continued over for deliberation of findings. I'll read the, uh, the letter which has been provided by Ms. France. Uh, dear Mayor, Lemire, and City Councilors, the applicant and appellants in the design review appeal of the proposed Astoria Co-op building, AP 18-02, have been engaged in discussions related to an alternative site layout that limits the vehicular access point for the development to 23rd Street. The applicant and the appellants make this joint request for the City Council to reopen the record in 18, AP 18-02 at a date and time certain for the limited purposes of considering the alternative site layout and accepting public testimony related to the site layout. Sincerely, Renee France. There was a follow-up email uh, that, uh, that uh, was provided uh, as well um, that says, as a point of, this is from Ms. France, as a point of clarification on the letter to the City Council provided earlier, the applicant in the matter intends to submit an alternative site plan with an updated elevation for the building. The alternative site plan will require changes to the northern building facade of the building. Therefore, we request the addition of the alternative site layout. The scope of review for the reopen hearing include review and testimony related to the revisions of the northern elevation. So what has been requested here is that the council reopen the public hearing uh, so that a revised site light layout and also a revised building elevation on the northern side of the building be brought to the council for discussion and deliberation and public comment. Uh, this would be reopening of the public hearing, which in uh, speaking with the city attorney is permissible. Um, and uh, the council has the ability uh, to do that. What um, has been proposed is if the council were to choose to reopen the public hearing, that that date be on Monday, September 24th, 2018 at 6 p.m. Uh, this would um, allow uh, some additional time for some processes to go through um, and for there to be review um, by city staff in advance of the meeting. And so it's the council's uh, determination tonight as to whether or not to uh, move forward with this request uh, to hear um, about the revised site plan and revised elevation. Okay, great. Okay, uh, could we have council discussion on this item? Do we wish to reopen the public Mayor, I'm going to keep out of this deliberation due to a conflict of interest as I'm the marketing director of Astoria Co-op. Um, I'd be happy to support the reopening if, if the two parties have had uh, 
obviously some fruitful discussion that will help ease the tensions between the two of them. I'm all for taking a look at it. Concur. Okay. Could we have a motion then um, to uh, reopen the public hearing on September 24th, 2018 at 6 p.m.? Mayor, may I, I may be able to kind of help frame a specific motion in, in that um, the parties have asked for some limitations to be made to what would be considered by the city council. And that again is the site layout in the northern elevation. So um, a motion can be made that uh, the city council reopen the record for AP 18-02 on September 24th, 2018 at 6 p.m. for the limited purpose of considering an alternative site layout and revise northern elevation and accepting public testimony related to the site layout and revised northern elevation. So moved. Second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Thank you. So just to be clear, um, this would not uh, trigger a re-notice uh, to, to all parties, but there is time for you know, word to be able to get out of, about this. So. Okay, and I, for one, am delighted that both sides are talking. That's good. Okay, um, the next item we have is an authorization to purchase a backhoe. So the Public Works Department has solicited a quote for a new 2018 case backhoe to replace their 1989 backhoe, which has ended its productive service for the city. The new backhoe would be purchased through a cooperative procurement contract administered by Sourcewell. And the city's procurement code allows for cooperative procurements to be made without competitive solicitations to bring efficiency to the purchasing process. The Sourcewell contract, which is through Sunsray Machinery LLC, uh, would include a price for the backhoe of $118,669.29. A trade-in price for the older backhoe was secured for $13,500. Tonight is recommended that Council approve the purchase of a 2018 Case 580SN backhoe from Sunsbury Machinery LLC for $105,169.29. And again, this is for uh, the backhoe and the price includes the trade-in amount. There are funds uh, which were identified in the Public Works Improvement Fund for its purchase. Okay. I move we approve the purchase of a 2018 Case 580SN backhoe from Sunray Machinery LLC for $105,169.29. And <laughs> Second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Thank you. Okay. Is uh, let's see, we have a third item yes. now tonight. And I'm going to ask uh, if uh, Chief would come forward and, and, and assist with this item. So I'm, I'm just going to maybe set the issue a little bit and I'm going to turn it over uh, to Chief Spaulding and, and also with the assistance of our Public Works Director uh, Jeff Harrington as well. Um, we've received 
uh, complaints from some citizens in East Astoria with regards to some camps that were located in the uh, forested hillside to the east of Franklin uh, and also near Columbia Memorial Hospital. And our uh, police department um, has been doing some work over the past week to identify um, a little bit of information about these camps and the scale of the, the camps up in this area. The issue, one of the issues that we have is looking for some direction from council in, in terms of how to move forward with this. It's a staff's uh, belief that um, we need to um, work with the folks who are residing in this area to, um, to uh, no longer have the, the camps with, in this property which the city of Astoria owns. However, I would note upon analysis of our code dealing with camping, camping is prohibited in parks along the waterfront, in, street, in streets and rights of ways, and on city-owned parking lots, but not on city-owned land. So the question for council is um, how you would like us to move forward if you would like um, there to be an amendment uh, to the city code uh, to be able to address this issue. And I'm going to let the chief uh, talk a little bit more and also talk about ways um, that if the council were wanting to move forward to address this issue and the, and the citizen concerns and complaints, um, how we could uh, work to partner with some agencies uh, to um, make this as smooth a transition as possible. So, Chief. Thank you. Uh, Mayor, members of council, Jeff Pauling, your police chief. Uh, I think the best place to start is talk a little bit about some of the calls that we've received. Uh, in the year 2018, we received approximately 63 calls for service that have some connection to transient camps in the city. This is compared to 22 calls we had in 2017. And this is only the 62 calls that I'm referring to are only the first nine months of this year. So right now, year to date, we're seeing about a three-fold increase in calls for service related to uh, camping in, in some of the forested areas and there's some other areas in the city too as well. Uh, I will say just for clarification when I say calls for service sometimes that does include officer initiated calls as well so it's not always citizen based calls but the vast majority of them are. Uh, so based on this and a lot of the calls as the city manager mentioned were occurring in the area of 40th and Franklin somewhere in the area of Navy Pipeline and we knew that there was some encampments up in that area again somewhat also north of the area of 39th area where some of the industrial park is so a couple of our officers uh, a week or two back uh, went and made a little field trip and walked up to the forest areas and were actually relatively surprised at how many encampments they had located and in the area that I refer to in, in one of the maps there's a little look we drew little pin maps on there based on the GPS coordinates of the 10 different sites that were off of the 40th and Franklin area, and then there's two additional, at least, that we're aware of behind Columbia Memorial Hospital, and those are on, also referenced in the document, I believe. Uh, what officers were finding was uh, some pretty significant camps, uh, sophisticated tents with carpeting, uh, cooking apparatus, uh, uh, homemade porta potties. Um, I guess uh, most, most of them had uh, just uh, massive amounts of trash strewn around the area. Uh, we didn't go into the individual properties, uh, just looking from the outside, actually contacted some of the individuals there. 
and at the time officers uh, placed a 24-hour notice on the tents advising the occupants that they had 24 hours in which they had to leave based on what we believed at the time was the law and the camping ordinance. I wanted to see for myself what the officers were experiencing and what we were hearing from some of the residents. So uh, last Friday, I went back with two of the officers and uh, took a bunch of pictures, which you have in your packet here, tagged the locations, um, GPS tagged the locations so we know where they are if we need to go back. Just wanted to get a sense of uh, what the officers were seeing. Uh, I was actually quite surprised at uh, the sophistication of some of the camps. There was uh, decorations. Um, Again, clotheslines, uh, porta potties, uh, just lots and lots of trash, uh, crates uh, fabricated into portable homes. Uh, it was it was really pretty amazing, to be honest with you. These had been there for quite some time. At least some of them had. Uh, there was also some other sites where it was just a bunch of trash, and there was some evidence of some uh, potentially cooking and fires and uh, campfires and what have you. So we, uh, we wanted to regroup and uh, consider the most humane path forward. Uh, we did, uh, I, I did speak with the city manager about this. We uh, elected to uh, get some of the players together, including Public Works, and talk about what our options were to make sure we were moving forward in, in a legal manner, but also in a very humane manner. One of the things that we did discover, though, as city manager alluded to, was the 24-hour uh, card referenced two sections. One of them was a 5.900, the story of code, which referenced the camping ordinance. And again, as city manager mentioned, it covered just about everything except for the forest areas and, and public areas open to the public were not part of that ordinance. So we felt that that particular section was not applicable, so we knew that we couldn't move forward. At least we chose not to move forward under that particular law. Uh, the other section that was referenced on that 24-hour notice was under the Oregon Revised Statutes, and it talked uh, that was more specific to the manner in which you uh, were authorized to remove an encampment. It talked about the 24-hour notice. It talked about the 30-day hold period for personal property. You take personal property. And it talked about involving social services, all the things that we were considering to do anyway. So with that being said, um, we wanted to reach out to council and uh, seek direction in terms of the best path forward. Uh, the one thing I will uh, would like to highlight is that uh, nobody wants to move these individuals out of this area. The law not only requires us to take a humane approach, but it's also the right thing to do. And in the humane approach, that means involving uh, members of the community, social service agencies, and hopefully finding a uh, easy transition for some of the individuals that we would be dealing with. We are not talking about arresting anybody. We are not talking about issuing citations. We're simply talking about removing the encampments from the city property for a variety of reasons. And some of them include fire hazards, public health and safety issues in terms of needles and trash and human feces, uh, trash strewn everywhere, and those uh, problems as well. So again, uh, one option would be to mirror an ordinance that is similar to what Warrington has, which basically is our ordinance, but it also includes areas open to the public, which would become part of this ordinance, which would um, give us the ability to remove uh, individuals and property from the city uh, forested area. Again, um, we're primarily doing this because of citizens that are calling us and, and concerned and have complaints about it. This wasn't something we did proactively looking for individuals who are experiencing homelessness in the woods. And then the last thing uh, I will say is as we move forward, one of the, our suggestions that we want to involve the Mayor's Task Force on Homelessness 
and uh, seek some uh, uh, guidance from some of the individuals that are on that task force that have experience in the different areas, such as uh, the mental health area, such as the housing issues, and getting identification of other services that we potentially could offer some of these individuals to help them get that on their feet. So that's my thumbnail, high-level overview, and I don't know if public works. So I could go into the problems of removing some of the property and what have you, but that we can save that for another day as well. Is, do we have any information about who these people are, how many are there, um, and do you know any of them um, so that we have some idea of what all the issues are? When I was out there, I only met two individuals. Obviously, I don't want to get their names here in the council, but one of them actually was working in one of the local businesses in town, I think, or a significant other was looking for work. I will say that Detective Hansen, who is our homeless liaison, knows pretty much everybody up there. I wouldn't say that these are necessarily people that are just fresh into town. Uh, from what I understand, um, he was aware of many of them. Uh, when we went up there, at least the last Friday I went up there, there was only two people we encountered, and this was Friday between uh, 10 a.m. and 12 p.m. So. I'm venturing guess most of them were out and about and um, walking in downtown or wherever uh, they might be. But um, so, other than that, it would just be anecdotal. Well, um, does Detective Hansen have any uh, suggestions as to where these people might go if their camping uh, uh, materials are removed? No, and, and that was part of the reason we talked about involving our homelessness task force and looking for alternative locations. So we, we did understand that that was going to be a real problem, and, and um, most agencies that have gone through this realize you're potentially displacing people from one location to another. Chief, uh, did you get a sense of what their, the travel corridors are for the people living here into and out of the community and back to their campsites? What part of the town are they typically transiting through? I don't know that. Okay. I don't know. And I noted just a few hours before our meeting there was a news headline of a court ruling and I think it was uh, the US, Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. There was a ruling just today in a community in Idaho had uh, attempted to enforce uh, a law against camping on public sidewalks and the court held that uh, if the homeless individuals have no other recourse, then the, the court said the state may not criminalize conduct. This is the state, not a municipality. I don't know if it applies here as well, but the state may not criminalize conduct. That's an unavoidable consequence of being homeless. So I just throw that in as an additional consideration. That's a, that was an appeals court ruling just today, so that may affect any code changes we get up in the future. But I, mean, I agree with you taking the path of not uh, of looking at issues of safety and hygiene and those are the key issues I think not whether or not someone's camping is nearly as important as if there are a large number of people and they're accumulating feces and other uh, safety material over time that's a threat to the them and also a threat to the neighbors who live in the immediate vicinity and Councilor, I will add to it, and I, again, if I'm understanding your question about the, the mode of transportation of individuals, we have been receiving a fair amount of complaints from the residents in the area of Franklin and 40th, and they see these individuals walking to and from, either by bicycle or by foot. There were quite a lot of bicycles up there, and still are quite a few bicycles. Don't know who they belong to, if that 
answers part of your questions. And I, I know that both the area behind Columbia Memorial, up on the hill above the hospital, and in this area, people do, at least in the past, walk their dogs and kids run back there and you know do what kids do out in the woods. And yeah, I'd be concerned if I were a resident or a parent about letting my kids take a frisbee and run back in the woods if there's 12 different uh, encampments back there. Well, I certainly would support a, you know, uh, amendment to the ordinance. I mean, it sounds like our ordinance um, was meant to prohibit camping citywide, and this was just a specification that was left out of it. So I don't see any reason not to support what you're proposing. I was just kind of curious. You know, you commented last year we had um, many fewer complaints. Of than we've had in this first half of the year. Do you have any sense why that is? Are, are the complaints coming from often the same people calling, for instance, uh, and, um, and what's the nature of the complaints specifically? Well, and, and I'm, I'm sorry, yeah, so the quote you're referring to, are you attributing a comment that I said we had fewer or more complaints this year? More complaints this oh, year. Correct. You said you had 63 calls in 2018, oh, yes. what, yes. 18 or something in 2017? Or 22. 22. Right. So considerably more this year, that's a heck of an uptick. And I wonder if you have any sense why that right. is, and again, the nature of the complaints. Well, part of the problem is that we just started, I mentioned this once before, January 1st, we started tracking all calls related to homelessness. And again, it's, it's not to target any one uh, particular group. Uh, it, it is, but it, we're not looking to um, make contact with individuals or profile, per se. So I want to make that abundantly clear because that's illegal. What it is is any activity that we've had, calls or complaints or you know, thefts or anything involving homelessness, uh, we flag those. We've had 188 of those calls just this year alone. And those that's very underreported because it's a relatively new thing and the officers don't always remember to flag the particular call. Uh, in, in terms of your question, in terms of why the increase, I'm not real sure. I, again, it's anecdotal that most of the people I talk to are familiar with the issue and seem to think that the, the number of homelessness people in Astoria has significantly grown over the past two to three years. And so along with that, I would say it comes with, you know, the, they have to find somewhere to live. And, and again, the, the nature of the complaints. Is there, oh, I'm sorry. Is there a particular theme in the um, complaints? I, I would say a lot of um, maybe harassment type complaints uh, along the river walk. We see harassment, uh, alcohol consumption, um, some thefts, mental but illness. But specifically for these encamp people that are involved in these encampments, I'm just wondering. You said there are people in that particular neighborhood that are commenting. People are just walking by, or is there something else going on? Oh. That I don't know specifically. Some of the ones I have heard, people just feel that, well, some people are actually concerned for these individuals and what they're doing. And some of them just know that they're in their backyard and don't feel comfortable with some of the individuals in their backyard. Um, some of it is they just look suspicious. Okay. Um, Chief, you mentioned that Corvallis was having this same difficulty and you were going to mention something about what they're doing or right. how they're handling it. Right, the, the problem is very similar with one significant distinction is the fact that their problem was in their city parks and their ordinance covered city parks as does ours, but this uh, is not considered one of our parks, of course. So um, they are removing um, 
individuals from the parks. They are doing similar things we suggested. They're involving social service agencies. They're giving them ample notice and trying to involve them in part of the cleanup as well. The individuals that they're uh, relocating, they're you know, ensuring that they're part of the solution and not just part of the problem. So um, this was just a fairly recent article in the last week or two that uh, we had learned and we reached out to Corvallis to get some more details on you know, the pros and cons of you know, how, how effective their program is there. But I believe if I may be speaking out of turn, it was 40 encampments. There was quite a few. Quite a few. It was a significant problem for them. Well, Council, um, let's see, we need to decide then whether we wish to amend the... It's really, do you wish to direct staff to bring forward a code amendment? Of course, there would be a public hearing on this item. Um, we're just looking for some direction on how to move forward to address the specific uh, issue of these folks uh, camping on the city of Astoria owned property that's not a parkland area. I'm in favor of, of amending the code, and but I think that we need to take another uh, track, a parallel track, which is ramping up discussions with the county about identifying a, a camping spot. I just don't see uh, we, we are not going to run all unhomed people outside of Astoria wherever we move them from, they're going to go to another place. It's just like an endless game of Chinese checkers or something. And uh, this is happening all over the country. And, uh, and I think that we, as, as much as I uh, can't say I like the idea really, but I, I think we, we really have to ramp it up with the county because Astoria doesn't have the land, someplace close to Astoria, near a bus line, where some sort of uh, tent or tiny home or some sort of village is simply going to be set up here. We're, we're just really, uh, otherwise we're just, like I said, just moving things around on, a, on an endless chessboard. So if we could do that as well, I don't, I don't make it contingent on that, but I think that that is the humane thing to do at this point. And to send these pictures to the governor, along with all of your comments, about the need for housing in Astoria. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I think that bringing forward some uh, code amendment language with a public hearing would be good because I like particularly the idea of a public hearing so we can start to hear more about this from both sides as much as possible going forward. And I think that I think that council price is on the right track. I think that's a good idea to send it to the governor's office because we do need housing. We do need workforce housing. Um, people that are out there homeless and working, it's just wrong. They should have be able to have a place to live. Just human decency. So. Yeah, I would agree with amending the code. It would be interesting if there's any records left from when the current code was set that prohibited public parking or camping, sorry, on certain areas, on public parking lots, on the, I think you said the river trail and the parks, if there, if there was any record to indicate if there was a conscious decision at that time on council's part to not include all other city property on that list, it would be interesting to know what that was, but otherwise it seems like it was an omission that ought to be, uh, ought to be corrected. The code changes obviously take a while. In the meantime, I would concur with 
you know, making it sort of a, a, the highest priority agenda item for the Homelessness Solutions Task Force. But additionally, if there are individual campsites up there which are clearly unsafe, then I think they need to be, uh, they need to be, those campsites need to be cleaned up and you know, everything needs to be removed from them. If there's, whether it's uh, excessive feces, I don't know how you define excessive feces, or needles or whatever it is, but you know, if it's a safety concern, it needs to be addressed quickly. Thank you. Well, I'd like to be responsive to, to the citizens who this is a problem for and give the police department the tools that they need. And so I would move uh, that staff come back to the council with uh, an amended ordinance uh, related to homeless camping in the city as proposed um, by staff. Second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? That concludes our uh, regular agenda items. If, if anyone has anything they would like to uh, talk with us about, please come forward to the mic, uh, state your name and address. Mayor, well, folks may be coming forward. I just have one announcement to be able to make um, that um, starting tomorrow, we have a new interim fire chief. His name is Richard Curtis. Um, and uh, Mr. Curtis, um, uh, we'll be here while we continue to look for a full-time permanent uh, fire chief and uh, he'll be attending city council meetings and you'll be able to meet him but I know that uh, everyone is at the fire department is looking forward to having him on board uh, he was able to come by this last week and meet the staff and uh, we will be able to have a more formal welcome for him uh, at an upcoming meeting but I wanted to be able to make that announcement. Thank you. Hi, um, I'm Monica Pearson. I live at 155 Lexington Place. Um, I'm here tonight to talk about Measure 105. I understand that this council is nonpartisan and can't change what is on the ballot for the fall, but to me, Measure 105 is egregious. Um, it warrants me bringing it before you tonight. Uh, Measure 105 would rescind Oregon's 30-year-old sanctuary law and divert resources from our local communities um, to do the job of federal law enforcement, straining budgets that are already tight. It would also further isolate our immigrant communities and compromise the safety to all of us. In March of 2017, this very council approved the resolution for inclusivity, and that resolution and my reading of it um, really relies on the Oregon law and its current status um, to protect our residents and the resources of the community. I'm concerned that our resolution would essentially be voided if Measure 105 passes and it would open the door to racial profiling. I'm concerned that every person of color could be stopped and questioned on their immigration status simply for the way they look and just going about their daily lives. I'm concerned because I have friends and neighbors that are people of color, and none of them should be wary to actively participate in this community. The North Coast takes pride in its immigrant heritage, and our community is a reflection of the many waves of immigrants that have arrived here over the years. We celebrate this heritage, and the Latino community should not be any different. I urge everyone to take a stand and pledge to vote no on 105. We value the contributions of our immigrant neighbors and hate should not be tolerated. Thank you. 
Carol Newman, 44331 Peterson Lane, Astoria, slash Brownsville. Um, I would like to ditto, ditto, ditto everything that Monica just said and add that when I look around this room, I see people of various colors, including myself, olive-colored, dark eyes, once dark hair, whatever it is, and names, too. Lots of skis and itches and all kinds of names that tell us that this is an immigrant community, as is this country. And I am proud to live here, as I have for 44 years, because we, as unvaried as we have been, have become more diverse. And I appreciate that and wish to welcome people here. I think that many of the immigrants who are here are the very people who are standing up for everyone, including children, the very children we've been talking about in many different ways, and for safety. And I would love to see my community, including the resolution that was passed on inclusivity, I would also love to see my community take a stance against uh, this egregious, is a good word, revolting is the one I thought of, um, measure 105, to change something. If it ain't broke, why fix it? So, thank you. Southeast Front Street, Astoria, Oregon. I also go by Sasha. Um, I too came to speak against 105, but for a minute before I do, I had two things that I wanted to do tonight. This was one of them. The other was uh, my friend Michael Cook, who sleeps on commercial. He's a guy you guys see in a wheelchair. Um, he's not a drug addict. I looked at him, so uh, this guy's got to be a drug addict. He's got to be an alcoholic. He's got to be something to be in that sort of situation, but I couldn't not see somebody who's in a wheelchair and find out a little about it. It turns out that he doesn't do any of those things. Uh, he's had pain issues uh, that have been debilitating, and he came down from Alaska uh, because Oregon's got the medical help that uh, he can't get there. His parents live in a house under his name, so financially he's uh, got too much uh, money um, in his name to get a lot of the help that he wants without you know, kicking his parents out of his house and stuff like that. The point is, is that the other day, the uh, last few days, he was in the hospital. They told him to go to oncology, cancer center here, and look in. And I really wanted to see how that was going today, because he went to see if he has bone cancer. Um, but it's important that we protect the minorities within our community. They're part of us. We have a park right behind you as a reminder of the last time we failed to honor a minority as our equal, right? This is, this is a symbol of our shame as a community. It's not, um, I recently, you know, I had an argument, I think, with Cindy Price over online about Tom Bergen and his support for uh, Major 105, and she says that Tom's a good guy. I have no doubt. The idea that bad things are done by bad people is mistaken. Bad things are done all the time by good people 
with good intentions. And I have no, I, no doubt that Tom has good intentions. But in this time, with Trump's horrible hate speech, with the country, fall apart of this country, following that, you know, real uh, demagoguery against the people that are innocent of these charges, you know, creates fear. You know, there are people in this community that are now afraid. They're afraid for their relatives. It, they're not in hiding yet. But this is harm that's actually being done to them. And whether or not Tom knows it, he's signed on to that hate speech, to that agenda. And I really urge the city council, as individuals or as a whole, to say no to it. Thank you. Anyone else? Uh, Could you state your name and address? Julie Schneider. Uh, I live at 43851 Solon Dale Lane. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Astoria uh, Alias Brown's me. Um, I went back and, and read an article in the Daily Astorian. Um, it was the article about 105 and Bergen's support for it. And one of the things he said was that. Um, if an illegal immigrant uh, uh, came with uh, some kind of criminal grievance, his, his force would not um, uh, judge them by their immigration status. Well, <clears throat> if I were, <coughs> excuse me, if I were a woman who was being battered, uh, if I wasn't a woman who was an illegal immigrant, and I was being battered by my boyfriend. With the current situation, the current, current um, statutory situation, I would still hesitate to come forward because there's always a chance that my immigration status would be a problem. And I have to weigh, you know, what's more important, uh, continuing on with the battering or ending up being If we lose the sanctuary law, there's no way in hell I would come forward. The odds against me not being deported would be so much inflated, I just wouldn't take the chance. And I would keep in the shadows, keep being battered. because indeed Sheriff Bergen has been a, a good friend particularly to, to Josh and, and to me and I think he is genuinely a good guy. He is really wrong about this and I have no idea what his motives are. I've not spoken to him about it and it caught me quite by surprise. I just wanted to read uh, and, and uh, Chief Spalding might want to address this, I don't know. He's, he, there's a, a quote from him in this same uh, article that Miss um, Snyder just brought up, and you brought up exactly the uh, 
the example that uh, my husband and I have talked about, and he, he mentions this a little bit in, in this paper, and I just want to read this quick uh, paragraph. The Clatsop County District Attorney's Office used to allow undocumented immigrants to sign forms called U-Visas that temporarily set aside their immigration status during an ongoing case. Since Trump took office, prosecutors have not been issuing the forms out of concern that the federal government won't honor the agreements, District Attorney Josh Marquis said. Quote, some who are victims may be worried to come forward, Marquis said. We want victims to come forward and feel like they're reasonably protected. So that's what's going on in the courts. I just wanted to let you know that. Appreciate your comments, uh, Councilor Price. Um, I just wanted to say that, and I appreciate the comments of the audience. I think that uh, personally, issues like Measure 105 are, they shouldn't be part of the conversation, and they don't belong out there, in my opinion. And I feel that as a council, when we put forward this resolution reaffirming Astoria's policy of inclusivity, that we were sincere in our desire to protect all people, including immigrants. And um, I think Monica's right, it really hinges on the sanctuary law, that it's usefulness. And, I think if Measure 105 passes, which personally I don't think it will, but if it did, that uh, as City Council, I would uh, um, come back to the Council and revisit this issue and uh, for our story. Well, I have a question. Is there any interest on the Council of taking a position as a Council? I would certainly support the council taking a, 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 a opposing oppositional view. To it, I just feel that this 105. this policy is in opposition to 105, and that so for me, uh, we we made that statement. And that's why I say if 105 did for some yeah. bizarre reason actually pass, in my opinion, um, that would be the time to come back. Mm -hmm. Strength, maybe then you don't have anything to preempt. Preempt. Do anything about it then. Do it now. Well, I again, what I'm saying is we've done, and I want to affirm it, that we've, we've clearly stated that we are against any such policy within this document. I don't know if it's necessary to take anything any further. Do it. Do it now. Anybody ask me, we've not taken the position. I, I agree. I think the inclusivity resolution was pretty clear. I, I personally, as a voter, I'm, I'm opposed to 105, and now that's on the record and in the minutes of the meeting. But I'm just on principle. I have a lot of concerns about council making resolutions regarding state measures because I think it's just a, that's a real slippery road, and next thing you know, we're going to be passing a lot of resolutions about how we feel about a lot of different measures and then it'll be federal 
law that we're passing resolutions about. So I, you know, I have no problem saying I'm personally adamantly opposed to the measure, and, but uh, I don't want to have a resolution about it. Okay, well, I'm certainly opposed to it. Um, and you've heard from the others, so I think it's pretty clear that we are and opposed to it, but probably I think you're right that it's it is a slippery slope to pass a resolution opposing. It, is it is it possible to reaffirm um, the inclus? Is is it? I don't know what the rules and regulations are. So I don't know what that Tom right. just said. I'm wondering. Maybe our council will know. Um, um, uh, whether it would be appropriate, if people agree, to uh, reaffirm the resolution without specifically saying this is about Prop 105, but reaffirming, um, I can't remember what the date is of the last one, but considering what's going on right now in some way, does that make sense? Because, um, wait, not waiting, I agree. Hopefully it won't pass, but we've seen things happen in this country that we didn't think could ever happen. So not waiting until the possibility of it's happening and then saying, but we said, and we insist, but just putting it forward again, I don't know if that's possibly okay. Thank you. Well, that's, that's exactly why I brought it up here, is to affirm and to, and to confirm that we did this. We did this in the last year. This was in... March, April, last year? March of 2017. So, you know. 2017? Separate, this last year. So, uh, I stand by it. Does the council stand by it? Is that what you're saying, Tom? No, I said I stand by it. it I mean, it remains in effect. It's, I mean, yeah. if, it would, if Mayor LeBeer would like to read it again, it. we could read it again, but it, it remains in effect. So by definition, we don't support it. It's still in effect, and we haven't made a motion to revoke it. And this is the council that passed it, and this council did pass it unanimously. Okay. And the chief has spoken to the paper on record that he's following this policy. I mean, really, honestly, there's hardly a week goes by that something doesn't come down the pike that I would want to sit here and reaffirm our inclusivity agreement over the past couple of years. So, you know, where do we start? Well, I, we appreciate all of your speaking up and, uh, and we certainly are in support of your efforts and uh, our votes will show that, but uh, it it doesn't seem appropriate to pass it as a council. So, but thank you very much for, for bringing it up. Uh, any other comments from the from the community from the citizens? Okay. Um, at this point, then we will adjourn this meeting and then open the meeting for the. Um, Thank you.
So you'll need to have a motion okay. for that. I move that we uh, accept the uh, Historic Development Commission meetings from August 6, 2018. Second. Okay. Um, Ms. Brooks, roll call, So as a result of a landslide in 2007, Bond Street has been closed to two-way traffic and only one westbound lane is allowed. The goal of the Bond Street retaining wall project is to open the street to two-way traffic. There is an expansion of the Astor West Urban Renewal District a couple of years ago to help provide funding for this project. On August 6th of this year, the Development Commission authorized staff to solicit bids and one bid was received from Big River in the amount of $584,496. This is the lowest responsible bid. The engineer's estimate for this project was $465,000, which included contingency. The bid received exceeded the estimate by almost $120,000. The higher than anticipated cost appears to be primarily related to the risk associated with working in a landslide area. The retaining wall construction limitations and lack of contractor availability within this time frame. Due to schedule constraints associated with dry weather construction, staff is recommending awarding the project to Big River. You may recall that this project was anticipated to happen last summer, but it was postponed at the uh, suggestion of our geotechnical engineers because of our wetter than normal uh, winter and uh, summer last year. So we're in a weather pattern now that would be more conducive to this type of work. If the council board, excuse me, the development commission to, were to award the project, staff would work closely with the team and the contractor to determine whether any cost saving opportunities would exist. It's recommended that the development commission authorize award of a construction contract to Big River Construction in the amount of $584,496 for the Bond Street Retaining Wall Project. And our Public Works Director, Jeff Harrington, can answer any technical questions about the project. I apologize if this is in the contract. I was just trying to review it, but my iPad died. Um, how long is construction supposed to take? Um, I'll go ahead and, and explain our, our strategy. So construction overall could take um, probably 45 days uh, to 60 days. But what's most important here, because it's a, it's a landslide area, is our, our main focus is on the construction of this wall. And this wall will be, be built in four sections. Each section is going to take about a week, so we have about four weeks. Um, we're going to get the wall 
done as a priority and then weather hits and makes a, basically all we have after that is some concrete work and pavement. Um, but we're asking the contractor to put all his effort into the wall to get that done first and then if we need to button up for the winter and come back and pave next summer we can do that. We're not going to take any risk at all. The way the wall is going to be constructed in sections, if the weather gets bad, we can shut down a section, you know, complete a section, so we'll do one week, and then we'll look at the weather, and if we have bad weather coming, we'll hold off. Um, but, but just to clarify the, the time of year and, and why we're targeting, we said early fall, um, is because, and it's a little counterintuitive, but um, what we're trying to do is hit this at a time when the groundwater level is as low as possible. And that happens to be now, you know, coming up here. And even though it might start raining, that, that for that rain that you see coming out of the sky to infiltrate the ground and actually affect the groundwater takes a while. You know, it could be a month later that you see this. So, so really, you know, a month ago, the rainwater that, that or the rain that would have came in like June was, was affecting it. So we're just now getting to that point where we have confidence that it's locked up, it's as dry as could be, the movement, we're watching our instruments in the ground, the slope indicators, the movement has stopped. And that's when we want to, like I said before, we want to you know, poke barely sleeping, not, not get any um, movement at all on the slide. And that's why we're going to be super careful about we do this. And our geotechnical engineer, who's the expert who's looking at all the data, will be on site at different times to, to be watching this. Mm -hmm. So is there a risk of this construction um, triggering more slide activity? The um, the risk is as low as it could possibly be and still do a project. So um, there's always risk when you're, when you're in a landslide area. So this, this landslide um, tends to reactivate on 50-year intervals, as far as we know, because we, we had the slide 10 years ago. We had one 50 years before that. Um, we don't have enough data before that. You know, we can't go back 100, 150, 200 years to actually have a good you know, mathematical correlation of the reoccurrence of this slide, um, we'd have to have more data. We don't have that because our built environment window is, is so small. So it's kind of like the Cascadia subduction zone scenario. You know, it's going to happen tomorrow or it's going to happen in 100 years. So there's, there's always risk, but what we're doing, and we did this approach twice already. So if you remember, we did road improvements at the end of Commercial Street at first. And, and we reconstructed the curve on, on Dwayne at uh, first. And we did exactly the same approach here. And the approach is to not let the slide feel that we're there. Every dump truck that came in with rock, a dump truck of dirt went out. So we balanced it completely. And that's exactly what we're doing here. And that's why we're doing the wall in sections, too. So, so we're just piecing it along. We're not going to like excavate it and leave it all exposed until we get things in place. So we're going to take out a piece, and then we're going to put the material back. It's all balanced. And doesn't feel anything different. And then we go to the next one. That, that Friday, it's not going to feel anything different than it did Monday. It's just during that time of the week. But still, even, even each day, as we're taking material out, we're putting material in. Thank you very much. I hope it goes well. And I know we've had to wait um, for a long time due to water saturation in the ground. Um, but it seems like you and your department have done a really good job with outreach with the neighbors um, to reopen Bond Street to two-way traffic. And we all really look forward to that, given the traffic woes in Astoria. It would be good to have that open again. Thank you. I have a side question. When that's living, when that's living, when that's
when that slide happened, uh, we also lost one of the access roads up to Lincoln and up in that neighborhood, up in the corner above it. And so people that live up in that corner, they only have like one way out right now. And it's secure, you know, they've got to kind of jog their way out of there. In the future, is there any way that we can open up further access for people that live back in there to have more than one way out? And I'm thinking in terms of just, you know, stuff happens. And sometimes you need more than one way out. We can look at that if that's a, that's a, that's a goal of the council. But that hasn't been under consideration to try to reopen the road, having lost that extra access. No, we, we, we um, back, I, I sold and worked with the city on the other two projects, and um, you know, the priority was to get, um, of course, that, that Dwayne access. You remember we had that very steep temporary gravel access. Right. To get that reopened, and then um, and then uh, the, end, the end of Commercial Street at first there was really bad because there was no turnaround. There really wasn't a place for a fire truck to turn around. If you remember, there was that big hump on the road. Um, so that was a, that was another priority, and we we did talk about some pedestrian trails at that time that you know went into that bad area there. But you know back back after the slide 60 years ago, you know, they just came with bulldozers and rebuilt the roads. Whether that was good or bad or, or led to to what happened, we're we're just following the direction of the experts. Sure. So if, if there was a desire to do something, we can start looking into that, getting opinions, and that might require that we you know take a different approach on the monitoring too. Thank you. So I move that we authorize award of a construction contract to Big River Construction in the amount of 548.496 for the Bond Street Training Mall project. Second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? And uh, I'm so glad to see this project going forward. Thanks for all your hard work. Okay, this meeting is adjourned.